0: The father was in church with his three young children, including his five-year-old daughter. As usual, they like to sit right in the front row, right where nobody else likes to sit. Dale and Wendy, they're gone today, otherwise they'd be the only ones in the front row. Um, They like to sit there because they liked to uh, make sure that their kids could participate and experience the whole of the worship gathering. And during this particular uh, worship gathering, the minister is performing the baptism of this tiny Infant, and the little five-year-old girl was taken by this. She was observing that the pastor was saying something and pouring water all over this little infant's head. And with this puzzled look on her face, the little girl turns to her father and she says, Daddy, why is he brainwashing that little baby? <laughs> Today is in the liturgical year is the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And I promise you that baptism is not about brainwashing. Uh, It's one of two sacraments of Protestant churches around the world. The other, of course, is communion. And these sacraments, these gifts, are authorized, they're commanded by God. As part of this, like what we talk about is this divine human relationship, the thing that we celebrate when we get together every Sunday Morning at this worship gathering. And so we talk about the sacraments as signs and seals of God's grace, where these common elements, elements like bread and wine and water, are shown to have sacred significance. Baptism is the sacrament that unites us with Christ, that enfolds us into God's family that we call the church. And so when I was looking at this text uh, closely, I was kind of struck by a couple things. One was the prominent role of the Spirit in Jesus' baptism. The other was the, the communal nature of this baptism. And so listen for these things as we take a closer look. And then hopefully this gets us thinking when we move through this, this will get us thinking and remembering our own baptism, which we will, we will do at the end. Let's pray together. God of the covenant, draw us together as we gather around your word. God, open our hearts and minds to the transforming power of the good news. Lead us in your truth and reshape us to better embody your ways. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Amen. Luke 3, 15 to 22. As the people were filled with expectation. And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn away with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. And so our passage begins with expectations. Expectations of the people, the crowd of people that that were flocking to John the Baptist from all over the place were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. The people were asking a really good question Is. John, the promised Messiah? It's a fair question. John, this strong, highly unusual, charismatic guy. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Luke has been tying John the Baptist and Jesus together for two and a half chapters. And in this one important moment, Luke separates the two great figures. Only one of them is the Messiah, only one of them is the Son of God sent to save people from their sins. And John, being this man of integrity, a man whose whole purpose was to point people to Jesus, says, I'm not the one you've been waiting for. But I know who is. This really got me thinking, this is is the part of the passage that I wish I could have spent the entire time on this part right here, and we would not have gotten to the baptism of the Lord Sunday. But when I was thinking about this, what made me wonder was, How many people in John's position would have said, oh yeah, I'm your man. I'm the one you've been waiting for. You know? And you know what? There were plenty who did just that. There were plenty of messiahs out there. John, a man of integrity, does not do this. It says something about the kind of person that John was. John here now is starting to recede into the background. Jesus is coming to take center stage and telling the truth is something that would lead uh, to John's arrest and it would cost him his life. Make me think in a world of lies, right? John has a lot to teach us. John says that the someone who was coming would be greater than him and that that person was on The way, that someone, of course, is John's cousin Jesus. Jesus, he said, would be far more powerful than him. It's like one of the least liked jobs of the ancient slaves would have been the removing of the master's sandal for obvious reasons, right? Like, which one of us volunteers to do that job? Anybody? No. When I remove my shoes, I've been known to clear a room. (laughs) <laughs> so I prefer to keep my shoes on my feet, right? This is why I don't know if anyone is like me. I'm probably going to be the only one, as it, as it usually is. Anybody not like going through security checkpoints on the air at the airport because they have to take off their shoes? Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm not the only one this time, right? This was seriously like the main reason I applied for TSA free check <laughs> <laughs> I do not have to take off my shoes any longer. What does John say? John says he's not even worthy to do that job. He's not even worthy to do the job of a slave to untie Jesus's sandals. He's creating this immense distance between the two. And John said, I baptize with water, but Jesus is said to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. We talk about the Holy Spirit as the spirit of the resurrected Christ. In other words, where Jesus is, the spirit is present, that Jesus brings the spirit in his person. And we're promised that Christ himself is with us, living in us, indwelling us with his spirit. And so one of the key differences that John says between him and Jesus is John is this prophet, perhaps the last great prophet of Israel, and Jesus is said to come as judge, judge over all of humanity. And when I think about this, there's some uh, good imagery in here, the winnowing fork thing, which maybe we'll, we'll deal with a little bit at the end. Um, but when I thought about this, what I said to myself was, thank God that Jesus is shown to be a compassionate and a merciful judge that offers forgiveness to all who asked for it. This was like the first thing when I thought of the winnowing fork. It's like, thank God for Jesus and what kind of judge it is that we have that's placed over us. And so John's ministry, he said, was to prepare people for the coming one, to get them ready for the Messiah. He did this by offering his water baptism and a call to repentance. This call, which we talk about it as the call to turn around, the call to turn away from one thing and turn and face another, to turn away from the old and to turn toward the new thing that God was to do. John's job is to prepare people for this new thing that was about to be done in Jesus. And so Jesus shows up and is baptized. John's ministry, his mission to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah, is now completed. The one that he was preparing people for has now arrived. Has anyone ever thought about this question, a really good question? Why does a perfect and sinless Jesus submit to John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Anyone ever thought about that before? Why does Jesus submit to John's baptism? Jesus doesn't have anything to repent about, no sin to forgive. Why does he do this? It's a great question. And it's like this baptism propels Jesus into his public ministry and in this ministry, what we see is Jesus identifying himself fully with humanity's need for a cleansing. Jesus' baptism indicates his readiness to take up our cause, your cause and mine, humanity's cause, in a forgiveness that leads to salvation. It's this glimpse, well, this is what I think it's doing, really. It's giving us this glimpse into the future where Jesus will take on the sin of the world and wash that sin away in death and resurrection. And so in the last verse, Luke forces us, I think, to stop and to pause a little bit to think about who is this Jesus? As Jesus comes up out of the water, something special, something unique, something mysterious, something that kind of sets the gospel story in motion, takes place, the heavens are said to open up. The Spirit descends on Jesus bodily like a dove, and the voice of God speaks a really important word. I was thinking, what, why we have this audible sound, the words of God spoken, we have the visual, the heavens opening up, the, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Why do we have these? We've got these visual, auditory things. It's like the imagery... You know, it's almost, when I thought about it, it's almost like Luke is trying to welcome each one of us into this story as witnesses to it. Right? Giving us, the reader, this front row seat to this special occasion. Because in it we catch a glimpse of heaven breaking into earth in this real and tangible and powerful way. The imagery here is like a curtain that's being pulled back, like a like a theater stage that reveals something important behind it. And so we see the Spirit's descent on Jesus showing us that this Jesus really is the one that John was pointing people to. This is the one that people have been waiting for, the promised Messiah. And so the prophets foretold about this. And so the, the Old Testament reading that accompanies this reading from Luke is from Isaiah 42. And you'll hear the connection immediately that Luke is making, certainly making a reference to this passage. It reads like this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. You hear it right there already. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And so Luke is saying that Jesus is this servant In whom God delights, the servant in whom God puts his spirit. And maybe the most important connection when I was thinking about this between Isaiah's servant and Jesus is this one simple word that's actually not so simple uh, the word suffering. Isaiah's servant, anybody remember what that servant was called? The what servant? Suffering servant. This is the name given to the Messiah that Isaiah is prophesying about 500 years before Christ, His this servant is called the suffering servant. And so the Messiah would endure this tremendous suffering on behalf of the world, and it's by that suffering, by those wounds, that the world will be healed. So this is what Isaiah was saying a long, long time ago, and Luke picks up on this Theme. This is what we're supposed to think about with Jesus' baptism. I'm convinced of that. And so there's no doubt that at this baptism, it holds within it this important like foreshadowing of the suffering that is coming. Coming up out of the Jordan River. Jesus will take upon himself the sins of the world in order to redeem them. And so at this, of course, God is pleased at this. God is pleased, and we hear this voice of God say, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And Jesus is now ready for public ministry and is sent off. And so when I was thinking about this, leave, maybe we'll leave you with a few thoughts and ideas. And the first is that John the Baptist had announced that the old age was about to give way and invited people to prepare for the new age, the new day, to turn away from the old and turn and face the new thing that God was doing in Jesus. And Jesus called that, of course, the kingdom of God and proclaimed this kingdom. And what this says is in Jesus, this kingdom has arrived. And so our baptism is a public initiation it's our yes to Jesus and the kingdom that Jesus ushers in. And so baptism brings us into co- the community of God's people. And one thing that I think John's call to repentance challenges us to do, and this, was, this is the hard work, I think, of this passage. It challenges us to think about all the ways in which we are complicit with the values and the practices of the old way. I really think, that this is one of the really hard parts of this message. All the ways that we fail to live according to God's new way and continue to remain in the old. John said that Jesus would stand as judge, and we had that winnowing fork imagery separating the wheat from the chaff. The winnowing fork, what was it used for? It just picked up the wheat, throw it up in the air, separates the good stuff from the unusable stuff. And I, when I, this is the stuff I was thinking about when I was really studying this, I can't help but wonder if Jesus' winnowing fork of judgment doesn't do this very thing to each of us today, on a regular basis. Not just a winnowing fork for some day far off in the future, but a winnowing fork for today. Maybe the Spirit wants to do this work in us now. Think about throwing us up into the air, to thresh away the parts in us that still participate in the old way that still interfere with our participation in God's kingdom today. And so we speak of baptism as dying to self and coming alive to Christ. The passage reminds us that the Spirit wants to make us new so that we can participate and live in the kingdom that God has ushered in that God will someday bring to completion. And so finally to me was this idea, of, this idea that baptism is not a private event. It's a very public event where we or our parents for us uh, said yes to Jesus and God's mission in the world. Anyone here been baptized? How many of us remember it? Anybody? A couple? Okay, good. And so my hope is that for those of us that have been baptized that we remember our baptism. If we, don't, if we can't remember it, We can remember that we were baptized and that we're thankful for that. My parents wanted me to choose faith for myself. um, And I did so when I was in ninth grade. So in ninth grade, I said, I want to be baptized. And so I remember my uh, pastor Roy Guerin, a man that I like dearly loved. uh, A guy that like got me so excited when I was in middle school, got me so excited about Being a part of church and learning and growing in my faith in Christ, this guy baptized me in front of the whole congregation. It was this moment where I publicly said what was already in my heart was already in my mind. I'd already said yes to Jesus before this. This was a public yes to Jesus and to living Christ's ways. And so interestingly enough, and I wish Rick were here, it was Rick Lee's mother who's with us a lot. Uh, Nora, she was the elder who sat down with me to talk me through, what does this decision mean? And so a little ninth grade me sitting out in a courtyard under an oak tree with this, like, oh, man, if, does anybody know Nora Lee? Like, let's just say she ain't Rick, all right? She's an Dustin, can we can we edit that out of the presentation? No. no. Oh. All right, I'll call Rick later. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. He's not going to hear it. Um, he's one of my best friends. I can do that. Nora Lee is a wonderful, very, like, godly woman. Like, she, this, this, this lady reminds me. I think about Nora Lee, and I'm like, I see her commitment to Jesus. She sits me down and tells me, what, this, what does this decision mean? And so, I'm not going to lie, like, I actually was a little scared. Like, it it means something, this decision. (laughs) Uh, It's important. Probably the biggest commitment that a person can make is making that decision. It's so fascinating, too, that on Friday, a, a guy in my small group wanted to talk about, this is so, the timing of this, he wanted to talk about baptism. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what, Rob, I just don't understand. People don't take their baptismal vows seriously. And I was like, well, tell me what you mean. And he said, well, we all make these, you know, we all make these vows, and then half those people, you never see them again. (laughs) And so he was, like, complaining about the vows. And what about the vows that we all take uh, as a congregation? It's a communal thing. We, on the baptizee's behalf, the congregation says, we've got a part to play in this. And he was saying the same thing, like, oh, we just don't take that seriously enough. This is a big big deal. And so when we remember our baptism, we need to make sure, I think, that we hear this voice, this voice of God reminding us that we, reminding us that we are loved, that God is affirming God's love for us. And so the text is this reminder that we worship a God who loves us deeply and even delights in us as well. It made me think about this story. Uh, there's a few people in here that are gonna re- were there. I think Dan, I think you were there, Young Life banquet a couple years ago. Uh, this story just like jumped out at me when I was thinking about this text, and it's like it's sad, but not every child grows up hearing from parents and others that they're loved and valued. And it reminded me of this story that I heard a man at this Young Life luncheon for pastors. They hosted this luncheon. I went. And I heard, honestly, one of the most moving testimonies I've ever heard in my life. I remember I was so moved by this guy's testimony. I actually went home and jotted down some notes saying, I've got to, I can't forget this because it's just, it's too powerful to forget. The gentleman now probably in the 70s, I don't even remember his name. Do you remember? Frank. Frank. That's, thank you. That's it. And this is the story He told. He said that it was when he when he told it, he said that it was the first time he'd ever publicly shared his story. So it had to be difficult for him. He said he was born while his father was fighting in World War II. And when his father returned, he didn't want a son. He didn't know what to do with the son, and so he took all of his frustrations out on this poor kid. His dad used to tell him, this this part killed me. His dad used to tell him that two people were going to drive out to the desert and only one was going to return. Right? Like this had this, you think that got everyone's attention when he was sharing this testimony. It certainly got, it certainly got mine. And this poor kid lives in constant fear of his father. He endured every kind of abuse for years and years. No nurturing, no love. And it should come as no surprise that this kid... Frank ends up running with a bad crowd, getting into trouble, wandering for years, lost. He needed to hear his father say that he loved him and affirm him, and he didn't hear that. Many years later, through Young Life leaders, he learned that such a father existed and that it was not his biological one. In Young Life, he learned about this God who loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to live to minister, to die, to rise on his behalf and on behalf of the world. This father changed his life. This father looked at him differently. The Heavenly Father looked at him through the eyes of his own son and saw someone in whom he was well pleased, someone whom he loved. The Apostle Paul says that at our baptism, that establishes our identity as well. That we are who God says we are. That in Christ we are beloved sons and daughters. And so we worship a God who looks at us through the eyes of Christ. And says to each one of us, you are my beloved child. In you I'm well pleased. Do we not need to hear those words? Like those words can change your life. Truth is, we're not all going to remember our baptism. I was baptized in ninth grade, and the truth is I remember only a few things, not all of it. Those of us that were baptized at a much younger age we're not going to remember everything. For those that are not baptized, let's do it. A really important step, a real important public step to, to make that commitment. And for those that have, we can remember this baptism. We can remember that we are baptized, and we can be thankful for it. Because remembering our baptism, what it is, it's really, it's a recommitment of our life to Jesus, to God's mission in the world. And so we just placed out our our little baptismal font here. It's a simple one, handmade. It's beautiful. Uh, I love it, and I hope to be able to use it more in the future. Hints. hint. (laughs) Filled up with some cool, clean water, and we put these pieces of sea glass in it, which you'll see if you wanna come up and and participate in this, but it's pretty cool. Pieces of broken sea glass, these shards from broken, discarded objects, objects that washed up on our beaches. This is glass that was once broken, discarded. It's now been reclaimed. It's been sandblasted. It's been made smooth. It's been made beautiful. Likewise, this is the thing, when we remember our baptism, we may think about these kind of things. I know it made me think about this. In various ways, we are broken people. And the waters of baptism bring us back to the beauty that God meant for us. And so anyone who would like to remember their baptism, to recommit themselves to Christ and Christ's mission in the world is invited to come up during our response time after our sermon during our station time touch the water take a piece of sea glass and to me when we take that piece of sea glass we really uh, we, we we notice that once sharp broken discarded piece of trash which is what it once was is now something completely different and i love the idea of each of us hearing these words of God, The heavens open up and the words of God are, I'd love for us to hear these words from God spoken to us that say, you are God's beloved child. You are loved, you are affirmed, and with you, God is well pleased. So we'll come, we'll remember our other things will be open to us during this time. Uh, We'll probably do a little singing with it. But we'd invite you to come up and spend a few minutes thinking about this. And what I say it reminds me of are the the ways that we're not participating in. We've got that element of the repentance element that John talks about. And then we certainly have this idea of the Spirit making us new, uh, new today, new tomorrow. And God is doing something in our hearts and in our world. Uh, Let's remember that. And be affirmed. And remember that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us deeply. Amen.